All right, we're going. Uh, we're in a small series called Christmas Carols. I, I've heard of other churches doing this over the years. I've always wanted to do this because I'm drawn to some of the Christmas carols as you are. And so far, we've been through the first Noel, and we've been through Joy to the World. Last week, that was Pastor Eric. I want to ask you, did he give the Isaac Watts version or the Three Dog Night version? i just <laughs> not sure with Eric. So today, we're going to look at another one. And I thought, well, what do we look at? Do we look at uh, Jingle Bells or Grandma Got Run Over by Reindeer or I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus or The Night That Santa Went Crazy? No, those are Christmas songs. The difference between a Christmas song and a Christmas carol is a Christmas carol has a sacred quality to it. It, it speaks of Jesus and the gospel. And uh, so what we're going to look at this weekend is Away in a Manger, maybe a carol that is a favorite of yours. Uh, I love it. I love the, the melody and all of it. When I was a kid, we used to go caroling like on junior high, high school. It was a big thing back then in neighborhoods. I don't know if they still do that today. When we first moved to this area from Akron, we lived there for a long time, then moved back to the Sandusky area. Pastor Todd and his family showed up at our door the first Christmas we were here, caroling. And uh, it was great. It was really, but that's the only time it's happened. Did you go caroling when you were a kid? It's a, it, was a, it was a big thing. It used to be anyways. Um, when I was a, a when I go out with the carolers, I oftentimes didn't know the, the words. I mean, I, once you got into the second, third, fourth stanzas, I got lost. So I just would move my mouth and say, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. And it made me look like I was singing it. And that was true with The Way in a Manger, too. Beautiful song, but I'm not so sure I know all the words. And maybe you're in the same boat. So since we're looking at it, let's look on the screen and take the words together. Would you like me to sing it for you? I'd be, no, I'm going to read it. Oh, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the heavens looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my side until morning is nigh. Last stanza. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Isn't it a beautiful melody? Maybe not the way I sing it, but it's a beautiful melody. And for years it's been favored by many, many people. And for years it was known as Luther's Cradle Hymn or Luther's Lullaby Carol because... Many thought that Martin Luther, the famous German theologian reformer, composed this song. And uh, for centuries it was sung by, you know, German mothers to their kids. Well, actually, all of that wasn't true. Um, years later, researchers got into it and realized that this, this favorite carol was composed in the late 1800s by a guy by the name of Kirkpatrick and later added to by someone else. Um, and... and a favorite for many, for, for good reason. It, it's, it's, you can sing it to your children. It's, it speaks of the baby Jesus. It asks to bless the little children, favored by so many. And the research and history aside, um, you can see that it's, I don't know, the, the humility of Jesus, in the, the, the humility of Jesus born in a manger, um, the, the prayer in it, that, that Jesus would be near us, the prayer that Jesus would have us in heaven with him, with him one day. Have us with him in heaven one day. It's a, it's a beautiful carol, loved by many people. Now, 
Um, I don't want to go through every line and explain every line and all of that. I want to pick out one little phrase that is a bit of a, I don't know, a question, it, it, a bit of a concern. Before I get to that, I want to ask you a question, though, and the question is related to one little phrase in the, in the carol, and maybe, maybe it, it, it rung a bell in you as well. It goes like this. The, the cattle are lowing, which I guess means mooing, the cattle are mooing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, here, here's the question for you young parents. Do you believe for a moment that the baby Jesus didn't cry? <laughs> no, he's fully human. In fact, theologians for years have wrestled with this particular carol because Jesus is 100% God, 100% human. If he's 100% human, he cried as a baby, Right? So, obviously, the composer of this carol was taking some creative license, which is, which is fine. But, but the concern, or the, the, the thought that I want us, want us to develop a little bit, circles around this phrase, the little Lord Jesus. Now, it's true, he was little. He was the Lord. His name was Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's, here's what I'd like us to think through. And maybe this is you, maybe not, or people you know. But for many people... Jesus remains a baby. Jesus is still in swaddling clothes. He is that eight-pound, six-ounce, golden-fleece-diapered baby, Jesus. And for many, Jesus is the one you pull out of a box, pull out of a bag during Christmas time, set him in a, in a manger scene, done. Talk about Jesus, sing about Jesus, think about Jesus a little bit, Go to church, think about Jesus, done. But when it's all over, we put Jesus back in a box, back in a bag, and think about him maybe next year. And for many people, Jesus is relegated to the periphery of their lives. Still a baby. But you know, Jesus grew up he grew up to be a man. He grew up to live the perfect life that you and I could never live. He, he went on to die on the cross to absorb your sin and my sin onto himself so that we could have peace with God. We lighted the, the peace candle. So that we could have peace with God. And then he ascended into heaven. And, and it, it, Scripture says that now today he sits at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will come to, to judge the living and the dead. <laughs> and this day, today, everything, including your life and my life, are under his watchful eye. So Jesus was the Lord as a baby, the little Lord Jesus. He grew up to be a man, the Lord Jesus. Today he is the Lord Jesus. And one day he will come to reign again, the Lord Jesus, the Lord forever. He is the Lord. He is the Lord when we're awake, when we're asleep. He's the Lord when it's good. He's the Lord when it's bad. He is the Lord, period. Now, the idea of Jesus Christ as Lord is referred to around 740 times in Scripture. That is a lot. This is the very first time 
that we read that Jesus is Lord. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And what I'd like us to think about today is go beyond the little Lord Jesus to Jesus is Lord. But more specifically, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord of my life? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord of your life? What, is, what does that look like? As, as I thought about that and all the many times Jesus Christ is referred to as Lord, there was one passage that kept coming to my mind, so I thought I'd look at it, and I thought, I'm going to share this with you. Near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which shows up in the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, just three chapters, Jesus gives this famous teaching, which is all about obeying God from a genuine and sincere heart. And right near the end of this teaching, Jesus gives some strong words. And this is what he says. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Now, those are strong words. Jesus is talking to a group of people who are all about keeping the laws, but not from a genuine, sincere heart. And so, bottom line, Jesus is saying, look, you're, you're all talk, but, but where's the walk? You can talk the part of faith, but where's the walk of faith in your life? The other day I watched a commercial. There was an NFL uh, Hall of Famer, and he said, I didn't get into the Hall of Fame by being all talk. And it went on to share how he showed up on the field. His walk matched his talk. And I wonder sometimes, does, does the walk of my faith with Jesus match my talk? Do I live my life in a way that suggests Jesus is Lord of my life? Or do I live my life in a way that suggests that maybe Jesus is still just the little Lord Jesus, just a baby with no real influence in my life. Well, right after those strong words of Jesus, he says one more thing in his Sermon on the Mount. And I think in these simple words, which we're going to unpack in just a few moments, we get the idea of what it means to live with Jesus as Lord. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Now, we're going to unpack that, but let me just finish out what he says and show you the benefit of what he says here. That person is one who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I want to be a wise person. <laughs> when those winds come, when those rains come, when those floodwaters come, don't you want to be someone who has a house built on rock? It's built on Jesus. Jesus shows us what it looks like, what it takes to live a life that suggests Jesus is Lord. And there's three things we can pull out of that simple, those simple words that he shares. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. My teaching, Jesus says, not horoscope, not 
other religious teachings, not other philosophical teachings, not what your Uncle Bob told you, but my teaching. How can Jesus say my? How can he be so exclusive? Because he's Lord. That's why. Now, Lord is not a term that we use very frequently here in the United States. In England, they do. Back in the Roman Empire, they did. Caesar is Lord. That's what they would say. In fact, back in those days, you could be a Christian and walk around and say, Jesus is God, no problem. But if you say, Jesus is Lord, you're done. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. That's what we believe as Christians. He is Lord. He has the power and authority. Listen to this. He has the power and authority to bring you into the family of God. He has the power and authority to make peace with God. He has the power and authority to lead you from death to life, to lead you into a relation with God. He's that powerful. He is the Lord. Do you know this passage from Romans? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And many of you in this room know Jesus as your Savior because you have called out to him. You know you need to be rescued by God through Christ. He's your Savior, but here's the question. Is he also your Lord? Do you live in a way that suggests that Jesus is the Lord of your life? That's what we're addressing this morning. Do you know this passage from Psalms? There's many like this. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Jesus doesn't want to just be my Savior. He wants to be the Lord of my life. Why is that? Because he is the Lord and he is the leader. He has made me. He knows me. He loves me. And he knows what is best for my life. And he gets to define what is best. And Jesus doesn't want to be the Lord simply of my time here in this room when I'm at church or when I'm reading the Bible or prayer. He wants to be the, the leader, the ruler, the Lord of all of my life, all of your life too. Not because he wants to lord it over us, because he's made you and he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what's best for you. I've shared this illustration before, and forgive me if it's familiar to you. We often talk of apples and oranges. Let's talk about peach and oranges. The Christian life is really meant to be a peach and not an orange. If you were to peel an orange, you would find what? You would find sections in there. And sometimes we tend to live our lives, our Christian lives, as if it's an orange. God is concerned about my time here at church. God is concerned about my time reading the Bible. God's concerned about my time praying. But he's not concerned about my time at the gym. My time at home isn't that important. My time in the neighborhood isn't that important. My time in the community isn't that important. My time at work isn't that important. And we have this false idea of a division between the spiritual and the secular. No, it's all created by God. And so therefore, all of us are important. We are called to be peaches. There's no division there. All of it is important to God. Your job, raising your kids, your marriage, your time in, in your neighborhood, your community, at the gym, your sleep, your eating, all of it matters to God. We are called to be peaches. And so if someone were to see you out in the marketplace, in your community, in your home, would they say you live like a peach or live like an orange? It's a transition we need to make to move from orange to peach. What would God say, a peach or an orange? Um, 
this is on the table here. I have the Bible that I've had for a long time. I've taken it so many different places. It's my, uh, it's, it's a Bible with a lot of underlinings and stories and um, names. And it's just maybe you have a Bible like that. And this is a new cover, though, and I'll tell you why. Because about four years ago, um, my Bible started to fall apart. The binding went bad. And so in the back, you know, the, the Bible goes from Genesis, the beginning of the story, all the way to the end, to Revelation, the end of the story. And Revelation fell out, which means for four years, I had no idea how the story ended. <laughs> I'm walking around, how does this story end? How did this story end? And because I love this Bible so much, I'm looking at some of my underlinings and notes and all that. I thought I got to so I, I sent it to a bindery and got it rebound. And so now, I, look at this. I'm looking at Revelation right here. I know how the story ends. Do you know how the story ends? The story, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story. One day, all those who surrender their lives to God through faith in Christ will say at one time continually, he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It will all make sense at that time. Between now and this day, we're to gradually, more and more and more, grow into that understanding, acknowledging Jesus as Lord. This is the very th same thing that Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. He says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so that's where we start. That's where we start, in living in a way that suggests Jesus is the Lord of my life. We simply acknowledge it, right? But Jesus goes on. We also need to listen. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, the word listens, it means more than just sometimes we do with talking with somebody, we hear them, but not really. This means really paying attention. It means absorbing what somebody says. It means trying to understand what they say, embracing what they say. Jesus says, listen to my teaching. He doesn't mean just the red letters that are in some of our Bibles. He means his life and all of Scripture. Just as Jesus embraced all of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation, we also are to embrace all of Scripture. We're to listen to the teachings of God. Now, if we're serious about having Jesus as Lord, how do we do that? And why do we do that? Let me ask, answer both of those questions. Years ago, I came across an illustration that is kind of in the back of my mind, guided me through my life in terms of how I take God's word into my life and listen to the teachings of God. And I want to share that with you. It's on, it'll be on the screen. It's simply, we start with listening. It's what we're doing now. We listen to the word of God. That's important. But it's also important to read. I, couple weeks ago when we were launching the Advent season, I, I brought up in front of the Sandusky campus the very first Bible I ever had someone gave me. And I, I, I turned to 1 John, the little letter of 1 John. It's the very first thing I ever read in Scripture, and it just came alive. And I don't know where you are. Maybe you just listen to Scripture, but maybe reading would be a, start with 1 John or the Gospel of John or the Gospel, but just to begin to read. Jesus says, listen absorb, take it into your life. But there's also another word, and that is study. Study means we, we seek to understand what God is saying in his word. Now, I will tell you what, as I, as I open the Bible here, and boy, I turn to Jeremiah. There are a lot of things in Jeremiah I don't understand. Isaiah, a lot of things in Isaiah I don't understand. There's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. How about you? 
<laughs> oh, there's a lot. Study means I try to understand what God is saying. There's so many good study helps that are out these days. I'm going to put a picture on the screen in a moment. You can even take a little picture of it if you want, because afterward you might say, now what, what was he talking about? There's a particular Bible I've used for many years now. I've given it to people. I've recommended it to many people. And I know many people have their favorite Bible. There's chronological Bibles. There's recovery Bibles. There's men's study Bibles. There's women's study Bibles. You could go to Amazon and spend the whole day looking at all the different Bibles that are available. I was going to put on the screen the one that I favor the most. It's the Life Application Study Bible. And the reason I like it is because it helps me understand some of the passages I would never understand on my own, but more than that, it shows me how to apply. It gives me the application for that verse. Now, Christmas time is coming. You only got a couple of days of shopping. That's okay. Some of you have not even shopped yet. I was in a meeting four weeks ago, and somebody said, my shopping's all done. And we were all like agape, you know, and uh, somebody said, well, it's not even the 24th yet. Well, it's not the 24th yet. You can still go out and get a Bible like this or ask for one. I would recommend this because it's important to study. Now, there's another finger in all of this, and that's to memorize. And, and why would you do that? It's because whatever we tuck down deep in our hearts eventually finds its way out through our lives. The psalmist in Psalm 119 you know what he says? He says, I have buried your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's talking about memorizing it. Jesus memorized scripture. And somebody will say here, I guarantee it, I can't memorize. I can't remember my kids' names. I can't remember people's names. I can't memorize anything. And yet, we could stand up and we could sing Jingle Bells. You would do it. We could sing the birthday song. You would do it. You could tell me your social security number. You could do it. Maybe. We memorize all the time. So memorization is something we can do. That's one. So there's, there's one more finger here, and that is to reflect. And that simply means, okay, God, I, I understand what, what's being said here, but how does it apply to me? Is there a sin to confess? Is there something to do? Is there a command to obey? Now, that thumb is really important. If I were to hold my Bible out to you, and, and they take my thumb off it, you could easily take the Bible away from me. But if I put the thumb on there, now you can't. And somehow when we reflect on God's word, we keep it deep down in our lives. So that's, that's a brief how. That's an illustration that's kind of guided me over the years. And whichever finger you feel weakest in, maybe start working on that one. There you go. Now, that's the how. But, but why? We, we could form a circle group and talk through why, why would Jesus say, listen to God's word? Why listen to me? And we could come up with some verses. It would probably take us several hours to, listen, listen, to list all the ones that, that, we could, um, that could answer that question. But let me just show you a couple of favorites of mine. This is from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Study this book of instruction, which means the Bible continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Do those words prosper and succeed jump out at you? Now, I, I don't think he means that the way the guys on television mean it. He means it the way God means it. Now, however God defines success and prosperity, I'm in. That's one of the reasons why we take seriously listening to Jesus. Here's another passage that you may know. It goes like this. 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, it might take us a little while, but we could walk down through there and list all kinds of values that come from listening to, reading, studying, memorizing, reflecting on God's word that help us then to live in a way that suggests Jesus is the Lord of my life. But do you see some of those? I mean, when we know God's word, it, it can actually help us to stay off of wrong paths and to stay on right paths. Any big decisions coming up in your life? It also talks about how it prepares us for good works. Are you involved in any good works? Yeah, what about marriage? What about raising kids? What about a relationship you might be in? What about finances? What about your job? All kinds of good works. God's word has something to say about all of those. So Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching. Now Jesus said something at another point. It's a, actually a passage I, I memorized years ago. It's from John 14. It says this, he or she, the version I memorized uses the word he, but it says, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or reveal myself to him. Oh, there's another value of God's word. We get more of Jesus when we read his word and take it into our lives. But did you hear that? Whoever obeys, what he's talking about is following me. And that's where Jesus takes us next. I follow the teachings of Jesus, the Lord. And Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, the idea of follows is the idea. Well, some versions, some Bible versions say put into practice. Or just do, if you do what I say. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows, obeys, puts into practice, will be wise. Uh, tomorrow, I'm excited about tomorrow. I'll tell you why. Because I go see the surgeon again, and he's going to take off this, this wrap, and I'll just have a splint. And he'll tell me about my elbow and all of that, and, you know, next steps, and... You know, at some point in that conversation, what, what I'm going to say to him is, okay, doc, that's fine. I've got it from here. Never mind. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that because I need to listen to what he says, and then I need to follow precisely what he says I need to do with the therapist and all of that coming up because I want to get better. <laughs> I want to be able to use my hand. I want to use my elbow. I want to ride my bike again. Be crazy not to follow what the surgeon says, right? The other night we were on a telephone conversation with our daughter. She has a really neat walk with Jesus. I'm really happy for her, and she has some friends who follow Christ too, but she has one friend who for a number of years now has just sort of stiff-armed God. I mean, she's watched our daughter and her friends live their life for Christ, but she has just resisted God. And finally, just recently, last week, they had a conversation about why that is. Why the stiff arm? Why the rejection of God? And this was the reason. It was just one word. Control. I really don't want to give control to God. I want control of my life. <laughs> I thought, man, that sounds familiar. I mean, many people stay away from Jesus completely because they don't want Jesus to have say in their life. 
But even as Christians, I've been a Christian for a long time. And still, control is an issue with me. How about for you? It always comes down to the issue of control. It will always be a battle for the Christian life, in the Christian life, the issue of control. Jesus says, follow me. Why would he say that? Because he's Lord. And he wants to be the leader and the ruler of our lives. Why? Because he knows me and he loves me. He's created me for himself and he knows what's best. And sometimes I think, you know what, I really don't want to do that because that would create, that would create uh, problems doing that. That would, that would be an inconvenience. That wouldn't be fun. That wouldn't make me happy. But Jesus knows better. No, if you come my way and follow me, I will make you more content than you can imagine. You will be more satisfied than you can imagine. You will find the joy you've always looked for. Just follow me. Let me have control. Who is it that sings, Jesus, take the wheel? I don't know how good of a song that is, but it has the idea. Jesus, take control of my life. We were in conversations the other night with some friends, and this whole issue came up not related to my daughter, but other issues. And they said, is there ever a point in the Christian life where you feel like you've arrived? Where you, keep, where you quit struggling with this control thing, you know? We arrived at, no, there's not. It will always be a struggle. Now, we always move toward the day when Jesus comes again. But between now and then, it's a control issue. I... I one of the comforting passages that I go to at times is Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, <clears throat> it's, like, it's like he can't understand it, but he can. He's the smartest man in the world, the greatest theologian who ever, world, who ever lived, the greatest evangelist who ever lived. And he says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I know I should do. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds familiar, familiar to me. This is Paul talking about the struggle for control. And then in just a few chapters after that, he writes this, For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. If you're in Christ, you belong to the Lord. He is the Lord. He wants to be the Lord, the leader, the ruler of your life, but not to lord it over you but because he loves you and he loves me and he wants us to go his way. He knows then we will find the success and the happiness, the prosperity and the joy that we long for. Here's a, here's a phrase I'd like us to think through for each of our lives. Since I belong to the Lord, I need to honor the Lord in this way. And if you were in Christ, how would you finish that? In what way is maybe God poking your conscience through something you've read in his word or maybe a, a good friend who loves you has said, you know, I see this in your life and, and, and God is beginning to poke your conscience and you, you know, maybe I need to give control to God. Maybe I need to honor God in this area of my life because I haven't been. Is it related to a relationship you're in that maybe you shouldn't be in or a relationship that you're in you know you should be doing something that you're not? Or is it related to finances or related to things that you're watching on television? Or is it related to the future and giving into fear and it's time to step forward into the unknown and the uncertain and the unfamiliar? 
we're also different. We're all at different points in our spiritual journeys. But this is true. Jesus wants to be the Lord of our lives and for good reasons. You know, the sentence that we just got done unpacking, whoever listens to my teaching and follows me, that person will be wise. That person will be like a house that's built on rock. And when the, when the rain comes and when the floodwaters come and when the wind begins to beat against our life, which it will, we will stand strong because he is the Lord and we honor him as such. So on this table is our, when you walk in our front door, you'll see this little manger scene. It, um, it's got some moss and stuff or whatever it is on top. It's shedding. But um, let me pull Jesus out of a bag here. Don't quote me on that. But uh, this is like the littlest Lord Jesus you'll ever see. And so he fits right here. And around Jesus comes the Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the, the cattle and the sheep. I'm trying to remember all that I left behind. And, and, the, and the angel fits up in here. <clears throat> and maybe at your home you have something similar, maybe something a little bit bigger, maybe something more fancy, like one of those Yadres or Lennoxes, or maybe yours is just a little wood figure. Maybe you have a manger scene, a nativity set out in your front yard. Last week I drove past Harley-Davidson on Route 250, and they had a live nativity scene out in front of Harley Davidson. I thought, how about that? Harley Davidson has Jesus. Maybe, that, maybe that's the message they were sending. You know, Honda and Yamaha, you don't. We have, we have Jesus. But whether you see Jesus, whether you see the baby Jesus at Harley Davidson or in your front yard or in your own nativity set or somewhere, let's just remember it. Jesus grew up to be a man and he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he went to the cross and absorbed your sin and my sin onto himself. And then he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Between now, this day, and that day, we are to live our lives in a way that suggests Jesus is Lord because he loves us. And the song we're about to sing, the one we've been talking about, it's kind of cool because the first half of the song, it's the little Lord Jesus. But then it moves into the Lord Jesus. And may that be true for each of our lives. He's the little Lord Jesus at Christmas time, but the rest of the year, the Lord Jesus. Let's sing. <laughs>